happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room for October the 24th, 2018. This is episode 112. My name is Wes Fryer, coming to you as I generally do from Oklahoma City. Again, missing Jason Neifer, uh, but glad that he is doing you know, wonderful things, evangelizing, I'm sure, the goodness of ed tech and distance learning in the distant spots uh, of, of Montana and um, elsewhere. But I'm so fortunate to be joined by Jen Carey. Um, we are going to be off next week, by the way, for Halloween. Um, and we've been mixing it up a little bit with our times. And Jen is down in Miami. And, you know, it's the East. We don't want to. And it's actually always late for me, too, when we do nine o'clock. So I'm glad for the excuse to be a little bit earlier. Jen, welcome to the show. Uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself and your role has changed since yes. I think last visited. So what are you up to these days? So I just started a new position. Uh, I uh, started in June as the brand new and in the inaugural uh, technology and innovation director at the Temple Beth Am Day School in Miami, Florida. Uh, it's a, a big change for me. It is a pre-K to elementary school. And for the very first time in my 20 year career in education, I am no longer in the classroom in any uh, formal capacity. I still work with teachers. I still pop in and help them out, but I don't have my own little gaggle of kids. And so it, it's a wonderful opportunity. I'm so excited, but it's bittersweet. And the sweet is all the great things I get to do at the school and with the faculty. Um, but you know, we get the education. You might have done it for the money and the fame, but we also enjoy the kids. And so, you know, that's been a, a different step for me. Um, in addition to that, I'm still um, on the board at Atlas. And we are just closed our acceptance of presentations for our conference in April. It'll be in Dallas and on the board at ISTE's Independent School Educators Network. Fantastic. Well, yeah. I actually int had intended to get my out some out something in, and it's just a, a sign of the times with our crazy schedules that you know I did not. But we're well. You do know somebody who might be able to get you a late admission. Right. Well, I may <laughs> go ahead and send, send send something in. So we're very excited for that to be coming to Dallas. And actually, one of the things we talked about was doing some collaborative things with our librarian, and you know, oh, fantastic, much closer. People have places to stay and things like that down there. So welcome to Peggy George, who's live in our chat room. If you are joining us live, I see we've got two live viewers. Uh, feel free and please do check out our YouTube uh, chat area. So just to the right of the uh, YouTube window, you should see a chat window and we will try and give voice to any questions that you might have. We also want to direct you to our show notes, which is on a very long Google Doc at this point, which is embedded on the website edtechsr.com slash links. And as always, we have far more links to talk about than <laughs> we will have time to, which is just fine. Uh, Jen got to see my, yeah, do that, do that late, uh, you know, document building. But full disclosure, um, I am using if this, then that for a couple of really helpful and useful things. And the primary, primary one is that whenever I send a tweet and I use the hashtag ed, edtechsr, 
uh, if this, then that grabs that tweet and then throws it into a Google document. Oh. So I can quickly, then that's how I was putting all those links in because I had them all in a doc. I just needed to move them over and then format them. So that is, woohoo. Wow. You're, you're giving away your secrets now. Hey, the secret sauce, but you know what? It's all about the sharing, right? It's, it is it's an interesting thing that we were, uh, doing chapel uh, talks, the first of three, starting today. We had homecoming last week, so we delayed our Digital Citizenship Week celebration. And today I had a chance to share with upper and middle and lower divisions, so three chapel talks. And I'll do another uh, series on Friday with our school psychologist. And that'll focus more on the wellness and screen time and those sorts of things. But today, talking about... Um, um, actually with some of the social institute stuff of if the title was, if uh, social media is a game, what is your score? Thinking about, you know, not the, really the positive things that we can be doing and not, right. you know, focusing on the negative. And then um, for lower, we were talking about practicing digital citizenship and we're doing newsomatic and seesaw as well as other things. And so anyway, uh, Yes, if this, then that is a great thing. And I, so, I'm a huge fan, and I automate my house with it quite a bit with my yeah. Internet of Things. Okay. Um, I built my own little widgets. So things like uh, we have Arlo cameras. Okay. And if I turn them, if I turn them on at night, and they detect motion, they'll turn on our inside lights. Now, are you uh, Amazon or, or Google Home? or what We is the... are Amazon only because when we bought in, we um, Amazon was the big thing. I think Google had just come out. But I got my parents Google because uh, it's got some better search features, quite, quite honestly. I mean, right now, they one will come out with something amazing, and then the other one will. Um, when but has somebody I, bought a product that just keeps getting better? Like, really, it's a very unique thing. It is. Respect. And so, and I like, now that my parents are older, I like that, you know, they don't have to bend down to turn lamps on and off, or if they, you know, heaven forbid something happens, they can actually just tell Google to call 911 um, or to call their children. So it's got some great features. But, you know, since our topic is privacy, um, you know, I knowingly brought my own little spy machine into my house. Um, but you know, I, I certainly, there are ones I would never bring in, right. I'll never bring the Facebook one in my house, for example. Yeah. It does come down to who we trust, doesn't it? Because yeah. when we're talking about these devices, uh, and even the ones we trust can be hacked. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty crazy, but we need to be so attentive to these issues because it can, there can be real repercussions. Absolutely. Yeah. And even if it's about, trust because to be honest i don't totally trust amazon but it's about entering it with your eyes wide open what you're inviting into your house right and you know i don't have small children um and i lead a fairly boring life i always say that they they punish people by making them study my my information um but it's important to be cognizant of that okay. because whenever it comes up i you know i vote for it i lobby for it anything i can do to enhance privacy They'll be, they'll be, um, off, you know, outsourcing that to the machines if, if they have yeah. that already. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to talk about some of the week's technology news and look at that through an educational lens. Mm -hmm. I think I'm actually going to throw one out, uh, first. And this is one full disclosure that I have only, li I listened sometimes to articles on Pocket. Um, and this is like a 45 minute, like, 
listening and have the phone read it to you article. But one of our teachers following the digital citizenship presentations today uh, forwarded this to our middle division director and assistant director and to myself. The title of the article in Wired from October Mm -hmm. 4th is When Tech Knows You Better Than You Know Yourself. The video version, which I think I'm going to watch in full, is How Humans Get Hacked. Yuval Noah Harari and Tristan Harris talk with Wired. And Tristan Harris is the, quote, design ethicist who has now, you know, formed this this organization that's really um, focused on raising awareness about how social media is designed for addiction. Uh, back in the show notes, if you look for like the word slot machine, that was one of his quotes was that, mm-hmm. you know, social media is designed to have these random rewards like a slot machine and that really hooks the brain. And so wow, some of the things that I've already heard in this article, it's really talking about how we are so hackable. Like we were very naive in the 18th century and we've designed our democracy and our form of government really based upon really idealistic ideas. And what we're discovering now with the brain and especially with facial recognition, they say Mm -hmm. it's the end of the poker face. You know, the the camera can study you and see uh, dilations and things that blood vessels are doing in your skin and your face that you can't detect. They can detect dilations in your eyes. Um, And so this idea of a poker face that I could just completely go blank and you couldn't see anything about me when a screen, when a computer that that is, um, you know, use, you know, some kind of digital input is going to take you in, then you're they're going to the level of analysis and the things they're going to know about you is unbelievable. And one of the things that that stuck in my mind, it said that 70 percent studies show 70 percent of the videos that people watch on YouTube today are from the algorithm. So Mm -hmm. we think that we're making choices. And I I actually really like this. And it's why on the Apple TV, I'm I'm very possessive because I don't want our girls, my wife is not as much a YouTube person, but I don't want our girls especially to be like watching videos because it's going to train the algorithm wrong. I want to see stuff that I'm interested in. But what they're saying is that we can really be led around by the nose um, our amygdalas, our, our brains are very hackable. Right. That we need to, I think they're saying, adjust our, our political systems and even our, our, our beliefs. And I don't know if this is values, but it may just be like the assumptions we make about human behavior that we need to recognize how hackable they are. And so when you talk about, you know, smart devices and cameras and things like that, uh, wow, it just, this is, this is one of those, it's right. a video, but it's an article too that seems to really be kind of blowing my mind. So, has any well, of this stuff? That's, no, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I actually, I just put a book. Um, I just put it into our discussion sheet. It's called Algorithms of Oppression, um, related to what you're talking about, because it speaks to why we really need um, varied people working in technology and coding. Um, right now, it's largely dominated. It's dominated by men. Um, particularly white men and Asian men, and that we have this notion that algorithms are neutral and they are not. They bring, they're programmed by human beings and human beings bring their own biases and experiences into it. We all have biases. We all have preconceptions that we're aware of or we're not aware of. Um, And this book fully explores that and particularly Google. And so I included a link to the book itself and, and it talks about actually Google search engine. So it says when, you know how when you start entering a search and Google auto completes. Um, so when you, or, you know, what does it pull up? And so what you find when you Google black girls versus white girls 
or why are black women? And then you get autofills with things like so sassy or so angry. Um, whereas that's not what it will pull up with other races. Um, and it brings back into that. What are these doing and influencing the way we think and research? So many people use Google for research. I, I use Google for research. Um, and the book really explores that. So when we talk about the need for, um, greater, um, you know, representation in tech, it's not a PC issue and it's not a, um, politics issue. It's also a social issue. Absolutely. And the results are different for, for, for each one of us. Um, Peggy George had shared in our chat last week, a wonderful webinar, which I saw most of. Um, it's called Fighting Fake News, Media Literacy for Students. It's by Tiffany Whitehead, who's librarian underscore TIFF. And mm -hmm. it was on EdWeb. And uh, one of the tools that she shared, and this was sponsored by Britannica, um, is this extension that Britannica has. I think it's called Britannica Insights. It actually tweets your, or tweaks your algorithm so that it's going to further prioritize the Britannica vetted sources. But just doing that as an example, like I'm going to do an incognito search for this term, and mm -hmm. then I'm going to search with my own personal Gmail, but then I'm going to search with my school account because that has been trained differently. And for instance, you know, mm -hmm. I did a little video about this last, last Sunday. Uh, there were Al Jazeera articles in my personal search results that were not on the first page of results for the other one. Interesting. And I have, I've followed Al Jazeera and I'm not saying I'm all about them, but anyway, it's, I think but it's, it's good to have a variety of news. Yeah, it's interesting to read. And I've got an article about Khashoggi down here from an Arab news source. It's, yeah. it's interesting to see. And, and this is something for students, all right, educational lens. Like, what are foreign news sources saying about this topic? How do they portray, you know, certain issues uh, relative to what we're seeing in our national media or in our local media? And so, you know, because I had followed that channel, because I had liked those videos, and I'm intentionally doing that, but I think this is something, it's a blind spot probably for a ton of people. And mm -hmm. I don't think we've come to, to terms with it because I think even teachers probably assume, oh yeah, when I tell the students go to Google, like you're all having the same experience. And that's absolutely not true today. Right, right. And we still focus digital citizenship on stranger danger, and behaving appropriately online. And media literacy is still falling in the wayside. And the problem's gonna get worse, right? Now that they can create false videos with people that are highly convincing, um, false voices that, you know, that are very realistic, we need to be better skilled before this gets out of control. And I'm a little nervous we won't be. Yeah, we are living in just such dramatic change. Well, I know yeah. you want to talk about data privacy a little right. bit. So what, uh, is there an article in particular? Yeah, like so, into that? well, I wanted to start with, I, about, you know that data privacy has always been a big thing for me, specifically with students in ed tech. Um, and now that I'm working with younger kids, there are more restrictive laws. Um, also that at my school, we have students who are EU citizens, so GDPR applies. And so I've been much more, I've always been mindful, but even more mindful about data collection. Um, this year, we're an iPad school, and Apple launched a whole new initiative for kids with Apple-managed IDs. And whatever you say about Apple, one thing I do respect them a great deal for, and you pay a premium for, is they're not in data mining. 
Um, I love Google. I am a G Suite advocate. Um, I love Chromebooks. Uh, the new Android Pixel is amazing. Um, but they are. Are you going to get one? No, I'm, I'm pretty stuck in the Apple ecosphere. But if I were thinking of making a change, like it's an impressive phone. Right. I, I'm not somebody who will ever say like, oh gosh, Apple phones are superior to Android phones. Um, but when I look at the safety and security in an Apple device, for young kids, uh, not just kids, really even adults versus Google or other platforms, it is striking. So I included, um, Tim Cook made the news recently and I, the article is in there. I think you moved under Apple. Um, he was, he's in Europe and he was giving a speech and Europe is ahead of the United States and, um, in terms of dealing with the issues of privacy. And Tim Cook quite publicly called out Silicon Valley and its lack of security, its lack of focus on privacy, and the fact that it's heavily data mines. And don't get me wrong, I am not saying Apple is a saint of a company um, and that they can do no wrong. But I think he really drew attention without naming, I mean, he was clearly implying Facebook, Google and other things, um, but really identifying some challenges right now in the ed tech world. And so that got me, I, I sent that to my head of school and, and said, you know, this is one of the reasons I've been really happy with these Apple managed IDs, which totally protects student privacy, giving them a one-to-one -one experience um, and how we're ensuring our kids are protected. Because one of the things I went in and started vetting tools teachers are using, um, there's a particular, I'm not gonna name the tool on here, there's a very popular tech tool that I'm not a fan of for learning practices, but when you read their privacy policy, it's pretty abhorrent. It's practically non-existent. And so I started rooting those things out and trying to replace them with better COPA compliant, FERPA compliant um, programs. And, you know, getting some reassurance from Apple, but also I included in here a, a warning that came out recently from the FBI back in February. Um, stating that educational technology is, you know, problematic because of the issue of how data is protected or concealed or not, um, and the privacy issues with students. So that I think has just been on my mind a great deal the last few months. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, it's interesting how Europe is is leading this charge. We've talked on the show. I mean, there is some danger that we have now of a fractured Internet and, you know, breaking some of the basic foundations right. of the Internet. You know, if folks are going to insist that data be housed locally in their in their geographic borders. I mean, you know, what is what does that what does that do to the Internet? Right. And with copyright, with a lot of things. But uh, Jason likes to talk about the, the technology correction and it's like the pendulum swinging. So we're having, having this technology correction Yeah. and I just, I really don't, oh, no, nobody knows. We don't have the crystal ball. Sometimes it's actually, this is what's fun about the show is talking about, talking about these things and seeing articles and trends and you kind of feel like you get a cert, certainly when it comes to AI and biotech and certain things, I mean, right. like with our youngest daughter, I'm like, honey, you need to go do some internships with biotech. Like it's, it's going to be so big. Right. But the rise of ethicists, oh. I didn't see that coming. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, um, 
but I don't, I don't really know where all this is going to go, you know, regulation wise. I do definitely see and agree with you that, you know, Apple has drawn this line in the sand and they're really wanting to define themselves as the privacy mm-hmm. protecting company. Um, and Cook is right, you know, Am, uh, Amazon as well as Google and Facebook, they're all monetizing our data. And so they're heavily invested in, you know, hope in trying to, well, which they all want us to trust them, but they really want to, have us, you know, give that information away freely and give them that value. Mm -hmm. Uh, One area that I do hope we're going to see, and maybe this is something we can push for in school is uh, we've had some articles, I think in the show before, but like we can file for a credit report now. Right. And so the agencies that, that track credit um, have to disclose, these are the records that we have and then we have an opportunity to correct them. And, and it's not this complete opaque, I can't see it situation, which is what we have now. Um, we talked on the show a couple of weeks ago about uh, robocalls and how there's uh, so many. And literally, I don't know how many times my phone today rang, but I just, I do not answer it if it's not in my contacts. I'm the same. Yeah. And so I think this is by Wes's own well, personal theory, but, you know, I think that, I mean, what's not my theory is that VoIP, you know, VoIP phone calling and then, uh, call, um, you know, number spoofing. Those are things that weren't around in 2003 when the no, don't, the don't call list came out and there was right. a crack. And, and they absolutely disregard them anyway. Right. Well, right. But now they're, they can be offshore. They can be anywhere, you know, in the world. And, you know, it's, it's something that's even hap- happened to us at school where we've had people angry calling us, Hey, I'm keep getting a phone, you know, these calls from you. And we're like, it's not us. And by the way, that, you know, we can report it to the FCC. But we can't report it to AT and T's. They've taken down their their reporting form, and there's really nothing we can do. But anyway, I think some of this has to do with the data mining. It has to do with hacks and the ways that a phone number is a unique identififier, and it, it is for a lot of us. But you know, we um, we don't have the ability to find out all that information that is out there about us. And if we were able to see it all. We would, you know, Google is the closest company, I think, that lets us do it with our history. And with some people, that really freaks them out. Um, sometimes people are going to make changes to their sharing settings. Um, yeah, everyone so, should. Yeah. And, I, and anyway, so it's there are ways in which these algorithms benefit us. Like I said, I I have enjoyed and continue to enjoy uh, YouTube and the ways in which the recommendation engine has brought me content and helped with the filtering um, but I think one of my biggest takeaways of all of this is how, uh, well, we just we definitely need to need to guard our privacy, um, and we need to. That was almost a chapel talk that I gave. Like, how do we address privacy agnosticism? Do you have a good answer for that? To with kids, I don't think kids are privacy agnostic. Like, I do think they care. I think that's why Snapchat for teens is so high, yeah. and, and those kinds of tools. But I don't I don't know that we have privacy champions. I think a lot of people are just kind of like, eh, I guess that's just the way of the world. I mean, how do we how do we raise up a generation of privacy champions? Is that even possible? Yeah, today? It's difficult, right? Because people don't understand why privacy is important and they don't understand why you sh- you shouldn't have companies monetizing your data. And when it comes to the forefront in like the form of a data breach, that's something. Um, but, you know, when you look at what the government can do in terms of crime, right? We, ha- we had a huge scandal that people largely disregarded with the Snowden revelations that the government is, um, you know, under the Obama administration um, and the Bush administration prior has been actively spying on its own people and continues to do so. And 
and people are largely okay with it until you start. What I've noticed, at least with students, uh, older students as opposed to younger ones, is when you start expanding on what the government can see or what these companies can see, they start to get a little horrified. I think that's why people are hesitant to download what Google or Facebook has. Um, but when you do it, you start thinking about, oh, I don't want this information known. Everybody has things that they need to be private and not just in this country. In fact, in this country, we're very fortunate. We don't live in a country where it's illegal to be gay or where, um, and there are countries where people are still executed for this, um, or where women have equal rights under the law. Um, and again, we can argue on, in terms of social justice, but it's not a country where if I am traveling without a male companion that I'm subject to, you know, being beaten. And while I have my own reper hesitancies about our own country looking in at us, these companies look at what Google is doing for China, for example. Um, you talked about facial recognition here. Um, China has the best facial, facial recognition in the world. Anybody who goes out and walks around is photographed hundreds of thousands of times, has their names and their faces inputted into these algorithms. There is no privacy in China. And that government is one of the most problematic in terms of civil and human rights. And we have American tech companies that are really supporting those initiatives. And again, we'll go back to the Apple Google thing. Google has fully given into China's whims. Um, Apple, one of the reasons they're having trouble expanding into China is because they refuse to give the Chinese government a backdoor into their phones and they encrypt things to the same level there as they do here. Um, so I don't think people, I think in some ways we're a little isolated on what our privacy means and maybe our current political climate might make people more aware of why we might need to keep things private. Um, but also what we let other governments do is problematic. Right. Well, and the role that hacks play, right? Because whatever mm -hmm. the case, whether it's government or it's commercial, um, basically today, anything can be hacked. If an entity, I mean, it's really like your house, right? right. If somebody really wants to get into your house and they have unlimited means, you know, yeah, they can they'll do get it. In. And, and it's the same thing is true of our personal data um, and anything that we're going to share and digitize. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know that what's interesting. if you think about digital citizenship or, you know, we have that kind of focus is we can definitely scare people. Right. And you mentioned how digital citizenship conversation, hopefully in a lot of places is moving beyond the fear factor and just the, the narrow internet safety. Let's, right. Let's avoid stranger danger. And because that's true and like human trafficking, we just had a huge crackdown with like, I don't know, this sounds huge, like 20 or 30 people arrested in the, in the Oklahoma city metro. Oh there my God. Big ring. I mean, and this is like human slavery and then through, through trafficking. Um, when you drive on interstate, I don't know if it happens in Florida, but here in the Midwest, I mean, if you'll, you'll stop at a roadside rest stop, you know, there's these notes now saying, if you are, you know, entrapped in, in, in trafficking, you know, call this mm -hmm. number, this is how you can escape. Um, you know, so anyway, there's, there's lots of darkness and, and the technology tools are being used for, for really right. stuff. But, uh, 
you know, with all of this, especially when it comes to the surveillance and the privacy, I think it's challenging to, you know, say, well, what's our actionable agenda? Like now we're scared or now we're overwhelmed or now we're, you know, deeply, more deeply pessimistic than we were before. So, you know, what is, what's our, what's our action agenda? Um, right. And, yes. and we're in an election year where, um, these, it should remind people that these are the kinds of things they can demand their representatives address. Um, so net neutrality was, was cut. Um, Cal the state of California is making attempts to address it. Uh, but some people don't realize that net neutrality, it, a lot of people don't know what it was, um, and why it was important. But one of the aspects about it is that your internet service provider can now sell your data. Absolutely. And before they were banned from that. And, um, so every search, every website you visit, um, I think all of us have websites we don't want people to know we visit for whatever reason, or we're watching a murder mystery and we start suddenly Googling or how we, to murder people. we just people. don't want that to become part of our, yeah. of our footprint, right? Like exactly. if I'm going to be researching, I mean, the, uh, one of the classics is somebody who is an alcoholic and then we're looking for AA groups. And right. Suddenly they're going to be pestered with, with alcohol ads on whatever social media platform they get on because that's exactly. going into their you know, digital. Right. And so these are the kinds of things. And the internet is not optional anymore. The, it, the internet is not an optional engagement and people try to claim it is. And you, you ask them to survive without it. Like I, a, a friend of mine tried to give up his smartphone and went, traded it in for a flip phone. He's my age. He's 40. He's not, you know, 87. And he was without it for about four months and he finally just said there was so much I couldn't do. I couldn't bank. I couldn't park because in Miami we have park by phone okay. and you can call and pay with your credit card and it's cumbersome. It's problematic, but there was a whole article in the Herald about it. Um, there were so many things he was unable to do with just without a smartphone, forget right. without the internet. Um, that he had to dive back in. Now he said he's, it's made him much more mindful, right. but, but the thing is the answer to these problems used to be like, well, just don't use the internet. No, that's not an answer. And it's interesting how with fasting and digital fast and, and all of that, uh, I had a conversation today with someone who really wanted to promote that, um, as having a day without technology. And I was like, that'll be awesome for us. I'll just love that. Right. Like yeah. I'll go to primary and we'll read books. We'll read Dr. Mm -hmm. Seuss. Um, yeah. What, what it's, I think there's a lot of hand wringing that's always happened on the part of older adults about whatever the teens are doing. With, right. I think about my mom and Elvis and what her parents thought of that. And just, it was the end of Western civilization uh, for him to, you know, be on TV. It was, it was, it was pretty scandalous. Gyrating, yeah. Gyrating around on the TV. But, um, I think, I think that, you know, that that's where with our social media and, and hopefully digital citizenship, and it's not just that, this is learning, this is life. Mm -hmm. You know, Beth Holland was saying that on the show that like, she was saying, we have these cotillion sometimes we've had in, in some um, communities and, and places where you're going to learn, you know, how to place your forks and how to, you know, serve food and how to, how to ballroom dance or whatever. But it's like, let's, we don't need to call it digital learning. Let's just call it learning. You don't need to call it, you know, digital citizenship. We just call it citizenship. I don't know. Right. Those kinds of discussions. But I think that uh, we've got to get beyond the hand wringing and just saying, gosh, I wish it was 1955 again. Um, let's just all give up our tech because anyway, we've, 
it, it is good in, in parts and I love being offline in the summer, especially, you know, go, we'll go camping yeah. in the mountains and that's fantastic. But long term, that's not going to fix it. If it makes us more mindful and helps us be more aware, then that's good. But yeah. No, I fix, agree. Fix it. And it also ignores the realities that some tech stuff is absolutely phenomenal. So, for example, I posted an article on here. Um, I'm trying to see where it was. It says older adults are worse at determining opinion than younger's, younger adults. And it's because older adults primarily get their news from television. Wow. And, and if you look, especially cable news, there's very little, you know, traditional news relating stories. Almost all primetime news, yeah. um, is related by, um, you know, your Sean Hattity's on the right and your, um, what's her name? Um, Maddow on the left, right? Yeah. And people view that and think that's news. And no, those are opinion pieces. Well, here's the thought, because uh, I've, you know, wrestled with this thinking about local news, the demise mm-hmm. of local and everything is, yeah. you know, maybe our schools where we have students studying journalism and writing articles, you know, need to be amplified more as far as their coverage of local. And we need to be more intentional about trying to help. I've been thinking about this, helping people become the curators of their own content, right? Right. And because and that's I love Neil Postman and wrote before the the Internet generation, but that was a big thing he was you know focused on is let's not all be led by the nose and be these sheep. Let's develop our crap detectors and let's be critical thinkers. Right. And, and, but even with the algorithm and with with Google and all this, I mean, how much are we truly <laughs> you know filtering our feed, and how much is is our feed filtering us? Um, right. I, I think. It's a critical digital literacy thing. And so anyway, you know, we've, I've done things with story chasers and digital mm-hmm. storytelling and these other kinds of projects and thought about that uh, in terms of student, you know, created media. And maybe, the, I don't know, how do we reclaim local journalism and how do we help really take more assertive control over that radar screen that we're right. looking at when we're turning on our device? I love my Google Home because I'm able to, this is like where I live in the Harry Potter world. We all can <laughs> Because if you have the right words now, I can listen to the History Hour by the BBC. I can listen to mm-hmm. the the Clockwise podcast. I can listen to This Week in Tech. Um, my friend, you know, our friend um, Eric, um, you know, has, has this podcast on Anchor. And so, you know, I'm loving that. I think I'm right. still very much an outlier activity. But Well, and, you know, I would also invite what, you know, there's now digital media of once, algo- um, of once analog resources that I think can help people to get a better handle on things, especially in terms of news. So for example, I read not cover to cover, but I read five newspapers a day. Um, I would never subscribe to five paper newspapers a day because that would be overwhelming. I'd never have time to read them. They'd pile up. But I read the Miami Herald, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. Sorry, that's four newspapers. I thought, I, nope, nope. Um, the Examiner. Um, I get them digitally and I read the sections that are most important to me. And I also look at how they handle different stories differently. And on top of that, I supplement with, I, I'm also a, someone who reads Al Jazeera. Um, I read the BBC. I, um, I read Le Monde, um, mostly to brush up on my French. Um, but let's look at the Khashoggi case. You yes, mentioned. let's do. That's great. Yeah. So for example, you look at the Washington Post coverage. He was, he was a contributor. They very, like, this is somebody that came into their house and murdered, um, somebody who's very close to them. And their focus has very much been on 
Khashoggi's life, on his murder, on, you know, the, that coverage. You look at the New York Times, a competitor of the Washington Post, and while I think all journalists have been united in this murder of a journalist, the New York Times focus has been like, what is Turkey? What, what game is Turkey playing? Because Turkey has so many journalists in jail, has murdered their own journalists. Erdogan is not a champion of, no. you know, free speech. And that's been their focus. And then, yeah, the, and I know you posted one from, uh, from Middle Eastern sites. Right. Yeah. I, I put a couple articles in. Um, one uh, was from the BBC on October 14th. Um, the title is Why Apple Watch Linked to Jamal Khashoggi Killing is Unlikely. This is a little tech slant mm-hmm. on this, right? It's one of the things that's happening, with, and it has forever with spy stuff, is that countries are reticent to share what they know because when they, if they share what they know, that can, you know, reveal means like, oh, hey, we had bugs in the Turkish, you know, in the uh, Saudi Arabian consulate that was in Istanbul. This was Rory Catlin Jones, who I think he's um, he's the host, uh, maybe the BBC Tech Tent, or it's, a, it's mm-hmm. another podcast. But this was a, a pretty savvy analysis because he was talking about Bluetooth versus Wi-Fi versus cellular and how basically even if you hack the Apple Watch, there's really not a way once you're inside a building like a consulate that you're going to be able to stream audio or video Here's my not smartwatch, uh, <laughs> you know, back to a girl, a fiance or from somebody who is outside. I thought that was some pretty prescient, you know, mm-hmm. tech analysis. Um, the other article that I dropped in here was <clears throat> from Arab News, which I've never read before. And, and I don't even know this. This also begs the idea, like, are we teaching our kids to check the source? Like, who is Arab mm-hmm. News? Where do they come from? Like Russia Today? You know, where is that? You know, that, that's got an agenda. Even Al Jazeera, you know, coming from Qatar. What's the perspective there? So this was called fake news, phony facts. Some of the things the media got wrong on Khashoggi and, you know, both of these one, the first one was from the 14th of of October. This was from the 15th. And, you know, there is so much propaganda. There is so much, you know, agenda in terms of, of how things are being presented and it can be, it can be very confusing. Right. So I think that Um, what a great day to be like, if, if anybody out there is is looking to hire a uh, you know PhD uh, around digital literacy, um, Beth Holland had talked about mm-hmm. um, the the, uh, the work of the Media Education Lab um, and uh, the work that let me see if I can pull it up. The, the website's propaganda.mediaeducationlab.com, and this is Renee Hobbs, and so just fantastic work around all this. So anyway, I just most of the College of Education positions I'm familiar with are a little bit more traditional, like be our math person, be our science person, be our social right. science person, or teach our ed tech course. That's like, you know, one, one little thing that we do. But I just think digital literacy and this, you know, filtering the news, it's like, again, like Beth said, this is cotillion. This is like skills for life. Right. But where is it in the curriculum and where is it in the, the preparation program for, for teacher? Right. And and another another tech angle on the Khashoggi case um, is it came out that Saudi Arabia has a whole bot army online who uh, who targets Saudi dissidents. And what happened after the murder came to light is the spread of disinformation about yes. Khashoggi. Oh yeah. And but how strategic it is. Uh, I posted this article from Vanity Fair. It's called Don't Mourn Khashoggi Inside the Feverish Cesspool of the Pro-Saudi Right. 
Um, so these things are not just, you know, what we originally teach people is like, oh, people are trolling online, they're messing around. But no, there's a whole other level of propaganda that's strategic and targeted. And, Absolutely. you know, it came out in our election, um, It con- but it continues right. in things like this. And people who are not educated will read it. If you read it something enough, it must be true. Well, and I think that's the point that, that they're getting at with that initial article with uh, with Harari and Harris is the ways in which we can be hacked, you know, because there are certain urban legends. Uh, one of them is that, you know, Fred Rogers was a Navy SEAL with eight kills or whatever. And that, that's one of those things people have said. And like, even when you debunk it and you show them, no, that's not true. Like, they still kind of want to share that. They still want to believe that. And it's just... There are it's a pernicious challenge trying yeah. to, to dislodge, and you can't just send somebody a Snopes article and then suddenly they're like, "Oh, okay, well, I'm completely off of that page." In fact, people will say Snopes is biased or funded by George Soros. Right. Uh, I've, sent, I've had who got that sent a bomb today with a- right. No, that that today's bombing thing was was pretty horrifying, and so I think that's where the reality of not. Uh, we, we don't know anything about this bomber yet, and hopefully we will. But other incidences of violence, other incidences of hostility highlight that these have real world consequences. And so by failing to teach real digital citizenship, by failing to focus on digital privacy, because people they target with these types of pernicious propaganda ads are intentional. They, Absolutely. And they and, know and, that because their privacy has been violated. And our society is wide open to this, right? Like we mm-hmm. as a society are so open to this kind of manipulation and the kind of things that we saw Cambridge Analytica do. That's how Facebook is designed. Facebook is designed for mark micro-targeting. It was not hacked in the sense that it was used. I mean, what what was what happened was they took information in, in an illegal way that was supposed to be used for academic purposes, you know, and, and that, that happened right. was, was not, and then they had just really open policies about friend of a friend and just how much, how much data was out there. But, um, you know, it, the, the folks that manipulated the election uh, with, with Cambridge Analytica and through Facebook mm-hmm. were, were really using it as it was designed to be used and is still being Exactly. Um, and, and no matter what it happened, what I think people forget, is it didn't matter who won the election that that wasn't there was some objective there but i i think even the russians thought that was a long shot what they wanted was to create the division absolutely and And it doesn't matter who won the election that division would have been there and on that note new york times yesterday uh u.s begins first cyber operation against russia aimed at protecting elections i was actually very heartened to see this um, and it's very interesting because, you know, individual people are being named and then we are trying to uh, provide sanctions, not against the nation, but against individuals. And we're trying, I say we, the United States is trying to inhibit behavior and stop behavior based on like, we know who you are, hacker in Ukraine or you, you know, mm-hmm. hacker in Leningrad or whatever. And we're going to block your visa from ever traveling to the United States or whatever kind of, um, you know, real world affecting you, not affecting your nation. And so this, you know, what, what we hope, of course, would be that we're not going to have this escalation. But wow, I, it just, I don't think we're realizing 
the ferocity of digital warfare that has been going on for quite a while. Mm -hmm. If you listen to a security podcast like Security Now and you learn about zombie botnets and all this, I mean, remember learning about this stuff going, who's, are there, are people going to believe this is real? But now, you know, with the way it's impacted uh, elections, the way it's impacted social media, really the way it's impacting our society, because those folks who want to sow dissent and increase polarization and get us to hate each other, you know, they love the, the, the free nature of, of, uh, of how social media operates and, and the right. ways in which they can inject themselves, uh, you know, with, with bot armies or, or right. paid people. Um, I just think it's, it's just kind of a dark time. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, we're having conversations like this and you and I are in positions of leadership where we can implement impactful digital citizenship, um, and media literacy. Absolutely. And, and, and I honestly think that's the cure for it. Like I don't read five newspapers so I can come on a show and go like, I read five newspapers a day. I legitimately do it because it's the only way I can stay informed enough to feel like I can make critical assessments. Um, and, and I think that's the kind of thing to influence people to go back to. And again, it's inexpensive. I pay $4 a month for the New York times with an education discount. Um, and the other one's even less. So I think I pay $15 a month for all of my subscriptions and that's the best money I could ever spend. And I would encourage people to start thinking about how, you know, you get people to assess biases and fake news by showing them real news and what bias is and and then get into the whole made up story parts later yeah um i'm just looking at the time and i have a firm stop at just before nine so can we talk about our geek of the week absolutely go right Um, ahead why don't you start that all right i i just included one and this was introduced to me by a woman named tanya Avrinth, who i think you know she's yes. also an educator in south florida who also just started a new position fellow friend of bob sprankle actually yeah the, you know, the late bob sprankle's birthday was yesterday yeah. so co-spaces allow students and teachers to create their own ar and vr it's device agnostic it's drag and drop what um i i, I know it's amazing um, and it's scalable. So if you're teaching a class on, I don't know, the ancient Maya, maybe you have kids build a ball court. And if, as I mentioned, I'm in an iPad school. We just bought the brand new iPad 6, which has really robust AR, VR capabilities, but you don't even need the latest and greatest. Um, I think this is fantastic. So they have free versions. Um, their pricing plan for um, Pro is actually pretty reasonable. Um, but you can get the free version with, you know, which is perfect for one teacher with one class. Um, but check it out. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Absolutely. That is awesome. Um, I'll do mine fast. Uh, I put a couple in there. Um, PD in the privy. I've actually literally been thinking about this, how, gosh, we should be putting some little notes about EdTech tips in the bathroom. And Cindy Danner Kuhn, who teaches uh, pre-service teachers educational technology at Kansas State University, is doing this and has freely downloadable PDFs. And so you can print them oh, I love this. and share this with your faculty. Different tips. Um, I also put a link in there to the presentations on digital citizenship for students that I shared today. Um, the morning one for middle school was recorded. And so I'll probably have a video to add 
if anybody wants to watch that. Um, but then one of the resources that Beth Holland had alerted me to uh, last week, um, which I had heard of before, and then I followed them, but it's one of these that I just hadn't tuned into, is FOSSI, the Family Online Safety Institute, and a great article that they have called Clean Up Your Digital Footprint. So it's got, I think, seven specific recommendations um, for things we should do, like search ourselves online, change privacy settings, use strong passwords, update software, think before you post, maintain your mobile device, and build a positive reputation. So that was my challenge to our upper and middle school students today as we were love that. about, you know, what we need to do with our with our digital lives. So this has been the EdTech Situation Room. Um, we will again want to encourage you to check out our links at edtechsr.com slash links. Um, we do have both, what, 24 kilobit, 16 kilobit? I don't know. We have a lot. Audio video files. We have a lot we can talk about. Like, yeah. like a ton There's of stuff. lots of great stuff in there to read. Right. And um, we will include the show notes uh, today, the ones that we talked about specifically. Um, Jen, where can folks find you when you're not on the, the EdTech Situation Room on a Wednesday? Um, I think the best way to reach out to me is on Twitter. I'm at the Jen Carey, one N C A R E Y, at the Jen Carey. Um, I, I'm quite active and I make a point to check out when people tweet at me. So um, please, I love engaging with peers online. So please do that. Awesome. And Peggy George has shared another great webinar. If you don't follow Peggy George, P. George on Twitter, you need to do that. She said EdWeb Today, Michelle uh, Lutala, awesome librarian. I think I'm maybe not saying her name right. Tom Milani, Transforming Learning with Chrome, Raves, and Jamboard. Very informative about Chromebooks. So I will drop that link in as well and want to encourage you to share links with us. You can tweet to us. And generally, we are here at 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain, but we will be taking Halloween off next week and then returning with one more guest. Uh, and then I think Jason is coming back. So that is the rumor. Yay. So, Jen, we want to thank you so much for Of course. Us. I love this. It was great. And you, you may be my only friend reading five newspapers a day. That is a very impressive. Not cover to cover. Yeah. Not cover to cover. Yeah. But still, yeah, that's do you one last question. What do you use as your filtering tool? Do you have still an RSS reader or flipboard or I'm a big fan of Feedly. Feedly. Okay. Um and I pay the forty bucks a year for Feedly Pro. There you go. Um and it keeps me keeps me up to date. I love it. Awesome. Okay. Well thank you so much. Uh mm -hmm. thanks to Peggy and Scott for joining us. And until next time, everybody, stay savvy and stay safe. Bye.